This is episode 410 of the AWS podcast, released on November 22, 2020. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lee here with you. Great to have you back. And of course, I'm joined by Nikki Stone. G'day, Nikki. How are you doing? Hi, Simon. Doing well. Hope you are too. Uh, very, very well indeed in these unusual times that we continue to travel through, but uh, I'm glad we're making the podcast happen and uh, appreciate the feedback around some of the audio issues we've been getting. Uh, we're trying to improve. I know, Nick, you've done a hell of a lot of work on your end, uh, which I think is yielding results too. Yes, I hope that it is. I'm actually using a new mic today, so I'm really hoping that today yields some spectacular results. Nothing like testing in production. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> Let's move on to our first topic, which is analytics. And Amazon Elasticsearch now has native SAML authentication for Kibana. So this makes it easy for you to integrate directly with your third-party identity provider. So things like Okta, Ping Identity, OneLogon, Auth0, Active Directory, Federation Service, and Azure Active Directory. So it means you don't have to have another set of user IDs, which is always good. And Amazon Elasticsearch service was also very busy uh, upgrading and allowing us to have access to Elasticsearch version 7.8 and its corresponding version of Kibana. It's a minor release, which includes bug fixes and enhancements. Now, this release includes open source analyzers for Thai, Chinese, and Vietnamese as well, which are available under the Apache 2.0 license. So some great multilingual support there. Amazon Redshift has been busy with a few updates. They've announced support for Lambda UDFs or user-defined functions, which means that you can now use an AWS Lambda function as a user-defined function in Amazon Redshift. So this means you can write custom extensions for your SQL queries to get tighter integrations with other services or third-party products. So for example, you could write uh, Lambda UDFs to enable external tokenization of data by integrating with vendors like Protegrity or access other services like Amazon DynamoDB or SageMaker in your query. So this is really, really powerful and particularly useful for this tokenization use case. The other change is it now supports the scheduling of SQL queries by integrating with Amazon EventBridge. And what this does is allows you to really control your recurringly scheduled queries and build event-driven applications based upon that event-driven architecture. So you can schedule your time-sensitive or long-running queries, loading and unloading your data or refreshing your materialized views on a regular schedule. So Again, a bit of undifferentiated heavy lifting there. AWS Step Functions now supports Amazon Athena service integration. Oh, I love this one. I love it when Step Functions integrates with more things. Uh, so Step Functions <laughs> is now integrated with Athena, which is, of course, an interactive query service. And this allows you to build workflows that query data on your S3 data lake. And AWS Step Functions provides uh, support for built-in error handling, parameter passing, recommended security settings, and state management, of course, reducing the amount of code that you have to write and maintain. I love working with Step Functions when uh, building serverless workflows, so it's really great integration here with Athena. And lastly for this topic, Amazon MSK has added support for Apache Kafka version 2.6.0. And so let's see, this one includes several bug fixes and new features that improve performance. Some key features include native APIs to manage client quotas, and explicit rebalance triggering to enable advanced consumer use cases. And then, of course, you can check the Apache Kafka release notes for a complete list of improvements and bug fixes. 
Moving on to the topic of application integration and a couple of pretty big uh, upgrades and updates, I should say, for SNS, the Amazon Simple Notification Service. Uh, when you're using it to send text messages or SMSs to your customers, you now have the option of selecting the origination number to use. Origination numbers are the phone numbers that Amazon SNS will use to send your SMS message, such as short codes or long codes. So this really allows you to achieve a more consistent and trusted experience for the message receiver. And additionally, by purchasing multiple origination numbers, such as short codes or long codes, and selecting the origination number, you can control which numbers are used for various use cases or implement load sharing approaches that better suit your needs. So to select an origination number, you have to have one or more short codes or long codes configured in your AWS account for the specific destination country. And this feature doesn't apply when sending SMSs to country where local limitations, laws or regulations require the use of sender IDs in the place of origination numbers. So for example, India. Um, but lots of detail in the in the uh, show notes and the user guide. But this is very powerful if you're using SNS for communication. It, it really improves uh, the SMS experience of SNS. So that three times fast. But now we're going to add another, we're going to add a four-letter acronym to a three-letter acronym. And this is an exciting one too. Amazon SNS introduces first-in, first-out or FIFO topics with strict ordering and deduplication of messaging. And as we know, of all the distributed computing problems, strict ordering and deduplication is right up there. Uh, so you can now use SNS FIFO topics in combination with SQS FIFO queues to build applications that require messages to be sent and processed in a strict strict, I should say, sequence and without duplicates. Now, this is useful for where it is critical to maintain the consistency in message processing across multiple independent services in a strictly ordered manner. Uh, sample use cases, you know, bank transaction logging, stock tickers, flight trackers, news broadcasting, inventory management, vote tabulation, and price updates. Uh, this is really powerful, but it does provide some more limitations than you may be used to in terms of throughput, etc. So make sure it is suitable for your particular use case. If you can design your system without relying on FIFO, that is the best way to do things if you're if using best in the air quotes. Uh, but if you can't, then you have this available to you now. And one more quick update. Uh, Amazon AppFlow now supports importing custom dimensions and metrics from Google Analytics to Amazon S3. Now, AppFlow is a fully managed integration service that lets you securely transfer data between AWS services and cloud applications. And now you can get dimensions and metrics from Google Analytics straight into Amazon S3, which means you can then query to your heart's content. So pretty powerful capability there. Moving on to the topic of blockchain, one quick update here. The Amazon QLDB Go driver is now generally available. So Go developers can now have a simple way to access QLDB and the Go driver offers an abstraction layer on top of the AWS SDK to handle QLDB sessions, streamline particle statements, and handle ion data. And moving on to the topic of business applications, there's also one quick update here. The Amazon Chime SDK for JavaScript now enables meeting health monitoring and troubleshooting. So meeting events, uh, so you can now basically stream metrics to CloudWatch and you can use these metrics to troubleshoot your application without requiring them to send in client logs. You can also dive deep on problematic meetings or devices and analyze meeting health trends. It's pretty cool. One of the funny thing is, Nikki, when you were talking about meeting health, I was thinking about it less from the technical standpoint and more for the How's this meeting going? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like maybe we need a function to just, you know terminate this meeting. It's not a good meeting. I think it's like the the network health of the meeting is, is what what they were going gotcha, for. Gotcha. Not not the not the attendee. No, uh, no. condition. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> Moving on to the topic of compute, and there's been a, been a really big release, uh, which is 
the general availability of AWS Nitro Enclaves. So I'm sure we'll do a deep dive on this one soon. This is a new EC2 capability that lets customers create isolated compute environments, which are called enclaves, to further protect and securely process highly sensitive data like personally identifiable information, healthcare, financial and intellectual property within their Amazon EC2 instances. And what Nitro Enclaves do is help customers reduce the attack surface area for the most sensitive data processing applications. Now, obviously customers already use EC2 to process a wide range of highly sensitive data, and they can protect this with access controls, encryption both at rest and in transit, but at some point during processing, you have to decrypt the data to process it. And to do this, customers often set up separate VPCs or have to strip third-party uh, software off their instances, limit connectivity. It's it's uh, our old friend undifferentiated heavy lifting. Mm. Enclaves help us solve this in a independent way. So it's not reliant on a particular CPU type, etc. Enclaves are separate virtual machines that are hardened and highly constrained. They have no persistent storage, no interactive access, and no external networking. So even if you're a root user or an admin user on the instance, you won't be able to access or SSH into the enclave. And these use the proven isolation of the Nitro hypervisor to further isolate the CPU and memory of the enclave from users' applications and libraries on the parent instance. The only way to communicate with the enclave is through the local socket from the parent instance attached to the enclave. And so you can really create a strong degree of isolation. And there's also attestation, which allows you to verify the enclave's identity and that only authorized code is running in your enclave. This is super, super powerful. It integrates with AWS KMS as well. Uh, as I mentioned, we'll go into lots more detail, but if you are building systems that are highly, highly secure, this will be something of real interest to you. Looks like there's a little follow-on update here for, for Nitro Enclaves. They've announced SSL and TLS certificates for EC2 instances with AWS Certificate Manager for Nitro Enclaves. Uh, so, Handy. <laughs> yeah. So the Nitro Enclave application allows you, ACM for Nitro Enclaves, allows you to use public and private SSL and TLS certificates with your web applications and servers running on EC2 instances using Nitro Enclaves. And SSL TLS certificates are used to secure network communications and establish the identity of websites over the internet. And so this is just providing that ability specifically to Nitro Enclaves. Pretty cool. Pretty nifty. Yeah, managing certificates is never fun. So yeah. this makes it easy. <laughs> couple of other quick updates. EC2 Image Builder now supports AMI distribution across AWS accounts. So you can now share those AMIs across different accounts in different regions as well. But if you're Americans, you'll probably call them Amy's. I call them AMIs. We will <laughs> argue till the cows come home on that one, Nikki. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, you've upset Corey probably. Uh, I've upset many, many people. Um, AWS Fargate, I just blame the Australian accent. <laughs> AWS Fargate Spot for Amazon ECS is now supported in AWS CloudFormation. So uh, using Spot with containers is a great use case and you can now automate the whole thing in CloudFormation. And remember, using Spot can give you up to a 70% discounted rate compared to the Fargate price. So um, using Spot where you can is always a good thing. You can now pause and resume workloads on i3, M5 AD, and R5 AD instances with Amazon EC2 hibernation. So you can now hibernate newly launched EBS-backed Amazon EC2, i3, M5 AD, and R5 AD instances. And hibernation provides you with the convenience of pausing your workloads and resuming them later from the safe state. It's similar to closing and opening your laptop, and your application will start right where it left off. 
And by using hibernation, you can maintain a fleet of pre-warmed instances that can get to a productive state a lot faster without modifying your existing applications. Upon hibernation, your instance's EBS root volume and any attached EBS data volumes are persisted, and the data from memory is also saved to your EBS root volume. However, for any instance store volumes that are attached to the instance, the data on the instance store volumes is lost. And when your hibernated instance is resumed, the EBS root volume is restored from its prior state and the RAM content is reloaded. Previously attached data volumes are reattached and the instance retains its instance ID. That's pretty neat. Love that. Announcing AWS Distro for Open Telemetry in Preview. So AWS Distro for Open Telemetry has gone into preview and it is a secure production-ready AWS-supported distribution of the OpenTelemetry project. OpenTelemetry provides open-source APIs, libraries, and agents to collect distributed traces and metrics for application monitoring. Using the Open Distro, you can instrument your applications just once to send correlated metrics and traces to multiple monitoring solutions. Pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, it's a nifty, nifty uh, innovation or, or uh, I guess, project from the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. So uh, hopefully helps people uh, across the board. Definitely. Lastly, for this topic, you can now customize your session manager shell environment with configurable shell profiles. Okay, I love this one. <laughs> so you can, uh, you, you can use this feature of the AWS Systems Manager to tailor the shell experience to the needs of your users or your organizations by adding customizations such as changing the default shell interpreter, displaying the host name, or configuring command shortcuts. And configurable shell profiles are available for both Linux and Windows hosts. Very nifty. Moving on to the topic of customer engagement, a couple of quick updates here. Amazon SES, the simple email service, now offers list and subscription management capabilities. So now customers can manage their own contact lists and it gives you enhanced capabilities around subscription management. Customers can create and manage a contact list where each list includes end user information and the topics associated with those users. And a contact list is a list that represents a distinct business in a customer's account. So that list can contain multiple topics. And a topic represents an interest group, a theme, or a label within a list. And customers can also configure SES to add an email footer unsubscribe link, please do that, and or a list unsubscribe header to enable end users to unsubscribe from a list or all customer emails. And Amazon SES will automatically update the list based on end user subscription preferences. Very important for that user experience and in many countries to just adhere to the law. Another quick update, Amazon Connect has launched agent connection time metrics. So you can now understand the time from when Connect sends a contact to an agent to when they accept and are connected to the phone call or chat. So this is useful to see their responsiveness. And I don't know you about you, Nikki, but when I entered the workforce, the rule I was told is I had to enter the phone within three rings. Um, wow. I don't know how that works anymore. That, that, that's <laughs> that not was what something I was, I was This was in the day of desk phones, though, so it's a different world, I'm afraid. Yeah, definitely uh, definitely did not receive the same information when I, when I entered the workforce. <laughs> uh, moving on to the topic of database, Amazon DocumentDB with MongoDB compatibility has added support for increased change stream retention and the ability to watch change stream events on a database or the entire cluster. So the change streams feature provides a time-ordered sequence of update events that occur within your cluster's collections and databases. And you can read from the stream to implement use cases such as change notifications, cross-region replication, full text search, analytics with Redshift integration, and much more. Uh, so this feature adds the ability to open a change stream cursor at the cluster level i.e. client.watch or mongo.watch and the database level, db.watch, 
And with this release, you can also extend your change stream retention period to seven days, which was previously 24 hours. Pretty neat. There's a new Amazon Neptune engine release that now enforces a minimum version of TLS 1.2 and SSL client connections. So that is very now available in all very regions. Very important for security. <laughs> Definitely. It's available in all regions where Neptune is available with the latest engine release, 1.0.4.0. And this will Neptune will require clients in all regions to use SSL with TLS version 1.2 for both REST and WebSocket connections to any cluster or instance endpoint. Existing client connections using uh, TLS version 1.1 will need to support TLS version 1.2 to use this engine version. And this will be the default for newly created Neptune clusters. Oh, it looks like Neptune has another update here. They now support Apache Tinkerpop 3.4.8 in the latest engine release, uh, which improves the development experience for Gremlin users. I just love talking about anything to do with Neptune and uh, graph databases because the names of things are so cool. Tinkerpop, Gremlin, <laughs> oh, love it. Gremlin, I mean, what's not to love exactly? Uh, now generally available is the ability to design and visualize Amazon Keyspaces data models more easily by using NoSQL Workbench. And NoSQL Workbench is one of my favorite tools to use because it allows you to do lots of NoSQL design. Uh, obviously, DynamoDB is a big one of those, but now you can design and visualize Amazon Keyspaces data models more easily using the NoSQL Workbench point-and-click interface to create non-relational data models. It can save you a lot of time. It is free to download and it is available for Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. So get a hold of that to use that. Amazon RDS for MySQL now supports minor version 8.0.21 bug fixes and functionality improvements. Uh, to use the new version, you just create a new Amazon RDS DB instance with just a few clicks, or you can modify your existing one using a point and click upgrade. One of the things I love about RDS is it takes what used to be a painful process of database update and makes it a coffee break. Speaking of RDS, Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports managed disaster recovery with Oracle DataGuard physical standby database. So this now allows us to support the creation of DataGuard physical standby DB instances which run in mount mode. And it fully manages the configuration of Oracle DataGuard and asynchronously replicates data over secured network connections between a primary database instance and its physical standby mounted DB replicas. And now this requires the Oracle Enterprise Edition, but not Oracle Active Data Guard. So if you're an Oracle user, this will be very interesting to you in some of the DR scenarios you can now create. Moving over to the topic of developer tools, two quick updates here. Sad for me. First one, new digital course. Uh, there's a new digital course called Advanced Testing Practices Using AWS DevOps Tools. This new two-and-a-half-hour course teaches you how to improve application reliability and security by integrating and automating testing into your DevOps pipelines. It's an advanced course and is designed for DevOps engineers and developers who have significant experience with DevOps methodology and practices. It will demonstrate how to incorporate testing and security into continuous integration delivery and deployment using AWS DevOps tools like Code Pipeline and Code Build. And you can learn about more advanced principles of DevOps methodology and the benefits as well. And uh, lastly here, Amazon Coretto 8U272 11.0.9 and 15.0.1 uh, quarterly updates are now available. So that was quarterly updates for Coretto 8, Coretto 11, and Coretto 15. This release also includes Coretto 8 support for TLS 1.3, Coretto 11 ARM64 updates, and Coretto 11 general availability of the Shenandoah GC garbage collector. 
Moving on to the topic of end-user computing, Amazon AppStream 2.0 adds a smaller instance size to the general-purpose instance family. So this new instance size called stream.standard.small gives you one vCPU and two gigabytes of memory, and it's useful for streaming lightweight non-graphics applications like uh, browsers for secure web browsing and Bastion host administration tools and applications that just aren't resource-intensive. Uh, so it gives you a new option down the low end. So you now have uh, three general purpose categories, uh, small, medium, and large. Moving over to the topic of Internet of Things, AWS IoT SiteWise launches support for VPC private links. So IoT SiteWise now supports uh, VPC endpoints via private link for data plane APIs. Those are your put and get APIs. You can now securely send and receive data from within your VPC without crossing the Internet, or using public IPs, and it's as simple as just creating a VPC endpoint for your IoT SiteWise service. Moving on to the topic of machine learning, some updates for Amazon Kendra. Now, Amazon Kendra is a highly accurate and easy-to-use intelligence search service powered by machine learning. And starting today, AWS customers can leverage Kendra's intelligent search capabilities across a broader range of content repositories by using Kendra's new custom data source feature. So this means it's very easy for you to connect in and extract information from places like uh, Amazon S3, RDS, SharePoint, OneDrive, ServiceNow, just to name a few. So very good capability there. And they've also added a new Confluence server connector. So you can now easily get access into those particular document repositories and these connectors will maintain document access rights and can be searched to automate. Uh, schedule, I should say, to automatically sync your index with your content repository. And this makes it easy to access things like ser Confluence server spaces, pages, attachments, and blogs. So good way to get access to that. And finally, Amazon Kendra has achieved HIPAA eligibility. So it is now available under that particular certification program. Amazon Textract has announced improvements to reduce the average API processing time by up to 20%. Don't you love it when things just get faster? Uh, so That's the way it should be. Why is <laughs> life that way? Really? <laughs> Faster, better, automatic. <laughs> so uh, they, uh, they delivered enhancements to the underlying machine learning models. I mean, man. Resulting in a decrease of 20% in average latency when calling both the synchronous and the asynchronous APIs. Thank you so much, Textract. These improvements apply specifically to the detect document text API and the analyze document APIs. That's really awesome. You just get it. You don't have to do anything. It's just there. Amazon Recognition Custom Labels makes it easier to import, search, and filter dataset label lists. Uh, so they've launched usability improvements to the Amazon Recognition Custom Labels console that makes it easier to import label lists from existing datasets and to add filter and search labels within a dataset. They recommend that customers provide both a training and a test dataset when creating a machine learning model. Previously, customers using the console would create a new test dataset and manually re-enter all the labels they had just created in their training data set. What a pain. Uh, so uh, so now you can, now you just, basically you can import those label lists from your existing data sets. And lastly here, Amazon SageMaker Studio Notebooks now support custom images. Uh, so SageMaker Studio Notebooks provide, of course, a set of built-in images for popular data science and machine learning frameworks. And the built-in images contain the SageMaker Python SDK and the latest version of the backend runtime process, also called the kernel, but now you can also register custom built images and kernels and make them available to all users sharing a SageMaker Studio domain. And you can start by cloning and extending one of the example Docker files provided by SageMaker or build your own image from scratch. 
Moving on to the topic of management and governance, AWS Service Catalog now provides a one-page provisioning with our new console experience. In fact, if you're logged into the console lately, you'll notice that a number of consoles have been modernized, updated and improved based on feedback for you. The new console provides end users with a single page of information they need to provision products provided by their cloud administrators. With the one-page launch process, required parameters are more evident. Now, users can still explore and modify optional configurations, but it means one page, enter what you need, move on with your life, which is a great way to go. You can now use AWS Systems Manager to view vulnerability identifiers for missing patches on your Linux instances. So that would be very, very handy if you're missing uh, things that you should have patched that are subject to CVEs. So this will now automatically start showing those vulnerability identifiers as part of patch compliance for Amazon Linux, Amazon Linux 2, Oracle, CentOS, RHEL, and SUSE. AWS CloudFormation now supports increased limits on five service quotas. Template size, resources, parameters, mappings, and outputs have all been increased. So the maximum size of a template that can be passed in as an S3 object is now one meg up from 450K. The new per template limits for the maximum number of resources is now 500, previously 200. Parameters is 200, previously 60. Mappings is 200, previously 100. And outputs is 200, previously 60. So a lot of updates there. CloudWatch Application Insights now adds EBS volumes and API gateway metrics. So this is a good way to gauge your storage performance and make sure you understand what's happening end to end. Customers can now use the Jira service desk to track operational items related to AWS resources. Uh, So you can use the Jira service desk as a single place to track operational items from AWS Systems Manager's Ops Center And Jira Service Desk users can now view, investigate, and resolve operational items related to their resources while using their existing workflows in Jira. Additionally, they can use the Systems Manager Automation Runbooks from Jira Service Desk to remediate known issues. Systems Manager Ops Center enables operators to track and resolve operational items related to resources in a central place, and now you just get that Jira Service Desk integration. AWS Copilot CLI has launched version 0.5 to let users deploy scheduled jobs and more. So the AWS Copilot CLI, if you remember, um, is for Amazon Elastic Container Service, and they've launched version 0.5.0, and you can now deploy applications or jobs that need to run only on a particular schedule. Copilot has built in timeouts and retries to provide more flexibility for how your scheduled jobs run, and Copilot will also deploy all the required infrastructure and settings while you just provide the application and the schedule to be run. And this lets you, of course, just focus on the development. Instead of setting up all the rules and the infrastructure, uh, Copilot is a pretty awesome tool if you are uh, setting up containers on ECS. Moving on to the topic of media service, AWS Elemental Pack Media Package expands monitoring and deployment automation capabilities. So it now offers you the ability to publish both live ingress and egress logs as CloudWatch logs. So this means you can easily build custom monitoring dashboards with CloudWatch logs, insights, or third-party data processing and monitoring tools. Analyzing these logs and correlating them with encoders or content distribution network logs can help you identify problems such as slow ingest uploads on the encoder side or ratio drops on the CDN side. So this really gives you a lot more insight into what's going on from a media standpoint. Moving on to the topic of migration and transfer, AWS Database Migration Service, DMS, now supports Amazon DocumentDB with MongoDB compatibility 
as a source. So if you need to move data from that particular source, you can. And it also supports parallel full load for Amazon DocumentDB with MongoDB compatibility and MongoDB. So it means you can actually... Uh, load things up a lot faster. In fact, what we see is this feature could improve the migration performance by up to three times, so you can move quicker. AWS Server Migration Service now adds support for application monitoring using Amazon CloudWatch Application Insights. Uh, so the Server Migration Service, also known as SMS, has added support for this application monitoring using CloudWatch Application Insights, and with the integration of SMS with CloudWatch Application Insights, you can start monitoring applications in CloudWatch as soon as the application migration is complete in AWS SMS. Moving on to the topic of mobile, Amazon API Gateway now supports disabling the default REST API endpoint. Uh, so this is the auto-generated REST API endpoint, and it looks like https colon slash slash your REST API ID .execute-api.region.amazonaws.com. This feature is intended for customers who use custom domain names for REST APIs and want to ensure that all traffic to their API only goes through the custom domain name and not the default endpoint. Uh, this feature was already available for HTTP APIs, and now, of course, it's available for your REST APIs. And lastly, for this topic, you can use existing Cognito user pools and identity pools for your Amplify project. Go Amplify team! So... Uh, with this CLI release, you now have the ability to import existing Amazon Cognito resources into your project. All you have to do is run Amplify Import Auth in the CLI, and it will automatically configure all of your Amplify provision resources to be authenticated with your designated existing Cognito user pool or identity pool. Super cool. Moving on to the topic of networking and content delivery. Application load balancers now enable gRPC workloads with end-to-end HTTP slash to support. So you can now use the ALB to route and load uh, balance your traffic, your gRPC traffic in particular, between microservices or between gRPC-enabled clients and services. And it means you don't have to change any of the underlying infrastructure on those clients or services. Now, gRPC uses HTTP2 for transport and is becoming the protocol of choice for inter-service communication for applications built on microservices-based architectures. It gives you lots of benefits uh, of HTTP2, like lighter network footprint and compression, and it also gives you efficient binary serialization, support for lots of languages, and bi-directional streaming. And basically, because of the performance benefits, developers have started using gRPC for client-to-server communication as well. So this gives you lots more flexibility. Speaking of flexibility, we're happy to introduce the Adibus Load Balancer Controller. And this used to be called the ALB Ingress Controller. It's now the Adibus Load Balancer Controller, and it includes support for both application load balancers and network load balancers, hence the name change. The new controller enables you to simplify operations and save costs by sharing an ALB across multiple applications in your Kubernetes cluster, as well as using network load balancer to target pods running on Adibus Fargate. So this is really useful if you're operating in that uh, container-based world. AWS Site-to-Site -Site VPN now supports health notifications. Uh, so AWS will now send a notification via the personal health dashboard if your VPN is operating without the recommended dual tunnel configuration for redundancy, the single tunnel notification, or if your VPN has experienced a momentary loss of redundancy due to a tunnel endpoint replacement. So of course, each Site-to-Site -Site VPN connection has two tunnels for redundancy, and then essentially these notifications will send you a notification if either one of the tunnels has a problem. 
AWS AppMesh supports cross-account sharing of ACM Private Certificate Authority. Uh, so the ACM launched a feature to share certificate authorities between AWS accounts using AWS Resource Access Manager. And now with this launch, AppMesh customers will be able to use a certificate authority shared with their AWS account while configuring TLS between services in their mesh. Uh, so customers can create a certificate authority in one account and then use ACM in a second account to issue a private certificate to authenticate services deployed in the second account. And this workflow expands the usability of ACM private certificate authority so that your organization can build a centralized certificate authority hierarchy and allow issuance across many accounts while obviously following ACM PCA's best practices. Oh, AppMesh has another quick announcement here. They've increased default limits on several resources. So you can have up to 50 tasks or pods running the same service or service version represented as one virtual node in the mesh. This is an increase from the previous limit of 10 per virtual node. And additionally, you can now run up 25 tasks or pods to act as a single virtual gateway, which is an increase from the previous limit of 10 per virtual gateway. Very nice. Amazon CloudFront announces support for public key management through IAM user permissions for signed URLs and signed cookies. I know many of my customers have been waiting for this one. And so now you can actually do it, which is great. Uh, many customers that distribute content over the internet want to restrict access to documents, business data, media streams, or content that's intended for select users. So for example, users who are paid a fee. Customers can use CloudFront signed URLs and signed cookies to restrict access to content. But up till now, CloudFront required root access to trusted signers and to, to be able to manage the keys. Now you can create and manage key groups in CloudFront. And key groups are sets of multiple public keys, which can be created by IAM users based on permissions you grant. So this gives you much more granular control, which is a good thing. AWS Global Accelerator has launched port overrides. Now, this is the ability to override the destination port used to route traffic to an application endpoint. This allows you to map a list of external destination ports, which is what your users are sending traffic to, to a list of internal destination ports that you want an application endpoint to receive traffic on. By default, an accelerator routes user traffic to endpoints in AWS regions using the protocol and port ranges that you specify when you create a listener. For example, if you define a listener that accepts TCP traffic on ports 80 and 443, the accelerator routes traffic to those ports on the endpoint. But now you can actually change that destination. So for example, you could have your endpoints receiving traffic on ports 1080 and 1443 respectively so that you have more customization and control. That's cool. Moving on to the topic of security, identity, and compliance, Cognito User Pools has enabled easy quota management and usage tracking. So user pools now enables you to manage quotas for commonly used operation categories such as user creation and user authentication, as well as view quotas and usage levels in the AWS Service Quotas dashboards or in CloudWatch metrics. This update makes it really easy to view your quota usage and request rate increases for multiple APIs in the same category. For example, you can now see the aggregated limit for a single user creation category, which includes sign up, admin create user, confirm sign up, and admin confirm sign up and you can check whether the existing quotas meet your operation needs in the Service Quotas console or CloudWatch metrics. AWS Shield now provides global and per-account event summaries to all AWS customers. Uh, so these summaries will provide you with an overview of all events detected by AWS Shield, such as distributed denial of service attacks and other volumetric anomalies for each of your accounts and for all events detected and mitigated on AWS. 
You can also view a summary of infrastructure layer events detected across your entire account on Elastic IPs, Classic Load Balancers, Application Load Balancers, AWS Global Accelerator Accelerators, CloudFront Distributions, and Route 53 hosted zones. And this summary will provide insight into DDoS attacks or other volumetric anomalies that may have targeted your application and can help you decide whether to protect your application with AWS Shield Advanced. That's very nifty. I'm going to go look at that in my accounts. <laughs> See who's been having a go at me. And moving on to our final topic, training and certification. We now have the first technical course, which is just for APN technology partners. And this is called AWS Solutions Training for Partners, Migrating Your Applications to AWS. And it's a technical course explaining the technical fundamentals and best practices for migrating your application from on-premises deployments to a single tenant, highly available AWS cloud solution. There are also two new on-demand digital courses for game tech, uh, using Amazon GameLift Fleet IQ for game servers and game server hosting with Amazon EC2. Now, these are digital courses designed for game developers who want to host their game servers on AWS. Each course will help you make a decision about using the particular service uh, in question and they are free 90-minute courses that mean you get access to the information you need without having to pay any money or speak to any human being. And finally, we're happy to introduce the AWS Activate console, which helps startups accelerate their growth and development. Maybe, Nikki, you should talk about this, this one because you had a startup. Yeah, this is my so favorite update. This is really relevant to your world. Okay, so I was yeah, a part of Activate. So Activate is a program that AWS has that provides startups, both smaller and early stage companies, and even more advanced businesses with free tools and resources to get started on AWS. Well, this announcement launches the general availability of an Activate console. This is so cool. I wish they had this back when I was running my startup. So this console is uh, full of personalized tools and resources designed to support startups through every stage of their journey from their initial idea to building an MVP to securing their first customer to scaling their businesses on AWS and beyond. Uh, so some of the features included are a personalized recommendation feed, uh, which curates tools and resources from experts based on your profile, interests, and usage of AWS services. Exclusive offers, so there's exclusive offers on a range of services and solutions important to your startup as it grows, which includes discounts, free products, credits, and other startup-friendly perks. I mean, I said free in there how many times? Like, that's really, really cool. Lots of free, <laughs> lots of free. Startups love the word free. Um, tech Hub, whether a startup is just getting started or already building, the Tech Hub helps startups design, build, and optimize their environment. They can also find real-time updates on the health of their environment new support services to explore, and a direct route to opening support cases. Oh my God, this is like, this is so good. And lastly, uh, a cost and credit summary. Startups often ask for greater visibility into their credit usage. Yes, they do. So this new credit cost and credit dashboard highlights their credits and balances, their current AWS spend, and a forecast of when their credits will likely run out. This information, of course, helps you make informed decisions and maximize your credits. Really, really awesome. Activate portfolio members globally, with the exception of China, both current and former, can use the console now. As simple as that. If As long as you're part of Activate, you it's can there. use it. Sounds like you're going to set up a startup. You're that excited about this. I now. mean, <laughs> like I was a part of Activate and this would have been like a godsend. Like the four features I just named, like, yes. Yes, yes, please. The, good, the other good thing is the console is available in English, German, Spanish, French, Italian, Portuguese, Russian, wow. Japanese, Korean, Chinese, traditional, and Chinese. So, so it's, a, it's a broad community. Startups everywhere, not just in the US, everywhere. Exactly, everywhere. We love it. 
Let's talk briefly to our wonderful listeners about some programming notes of what's coming up. And the first thing I'd like to mention is, uh, Nikki, we're going to get to hear a lot more of you because you're going to be taking on a little sort of a sub-series within the AWS podcast, Umbrella and Family, around launches. So maybe talk to us a little bit about some of the, the work you'll be doing probably from next year. Yeah. So I've, per my understanding, I will be participating in a launch interviews. So I'll be interviewing, I think, product managers or product marketing managers on their latest products and their latest launches to help us uh, get more information and little, do a little lift under the covers, if you will. Exactly. Nikki will be helping us dive deep on some of these launches that we sometimes touch on briefly in the update show, um, which you'll continue to do with me, but um, we'll also be able to take a little more time. So uh, it'll, it'll be great having a bit more content from that perspective. I'm excited. I always and like also, looking under the hood. Yeah, it's nice. You know the tough questions to ask too. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be in trouble. Yes, they are. Also, uh, there's a little event coming up uh, called reInvent, uh, reInvent 2020, which is, of course, a remote event for everyone this year. So uh, unfortunately, regular listeners won't get to hear Simon's gravelly voice uh, recorded from a hotel room in Las Vegas after a 20-hour day which I know you all look forward to. Um, but what will be happening is this will be over three weeks. And the great thing is, is that firstly, everyone across the world can get access to the content. So I'm super excited about that. There'll also be three keynotes, one per week. And my plan is, production plan is, is that each morning Australian time, which should dovetail into just after the keynote for each week has been delivered that week, I'll record, produce and release an episode. So if uh, the podcast is the way you like to keep up to date with reInvent happenings and announcements, fear not. We've got you covered. It'll be coming out each and every week. So there'll be three uh, reInvent episodes at a minimum throughout that week. There might even be a few bonus ones depending on some of the other goodies that we're trying to put together. But uh, it's going to be a busy couple of months, Nikki. Yeah, ready for it. I'm excited. I love reInvent season. It's a little different yeah, this year, it but uh, it's still going to be exciting even watching it from home. Exactly. And I'm really excited that that people who may have wanted to go in the past but just couldn't for whatever reason um, get access to all the content and, the, and the, the, I think there'll be a, a different vibe as well, which will be exciting. I'm so excited for that. I mean, having been on Twitch every single year with like the only launch updates and free content that there is available, I know that there's millions of people that have wanted to attend. And so this is just really, yeah. really awesome. It's very cool. So Nikki, how do people reach out to you? So you can find me on Twitter. My username is knee like your knee and a key so that's k-n-e-e-k-e-y and then the number 23 please send me a dm if you liked my audio this uh this uh episode because i would love to know after uh after i put in a lot of work this year to make it better so please let me know if it uh, if it's working Good stuff. And we do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the other place you can do that. And of course, until next time, keep on building.